ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I'll I'll talk for the both of us for now. Good. ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels. We're a video game music podcast. This is episode 31-6 of the finest video game music podcasting you're about to hear. My name is Rob Nichols. And I just swallowed a carrot. And every week we listen to great video game musics. And swallow carrotses. Carrotses. <laughs> Habitses. We listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations. We pick a topic. We pick some tunes. We, we listen to the music. We analyze it. We, we, we look at it under a microscope. We pick out the best parts of your childhood. Stick it on a podcast so you can listen to it in a car while <laughs> dropping your kids off at work. You can listen in a car. You can listen in a bar. You can listen on a star. You can listen near or far. You can listen in the day. You can listen in the night. You can't listen on the can. Well, you can if you're nice. Uh, <laughs> all those times, all those places, you can listen to this podcast and have a good time doing it, hopefully. Close to that microphone there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Which remind me, speaking of that, I thought I was kind of chuckled at the idea that... Uh, so Stoop Dog is doing a halftime show for the Super Bowl this year. Oh, and nice. he also just bought the record company that he released his first album on. Yeah, and I, I saw that headline. <laughs> coming across all that news, my brain went to this weird place where I'm like, "Crap, I'm old." And Snoop Dogg is older, and yeah. he's still thriving. He's doing all this stuff. What is going on? How is he still in the news? Like vehemently in the news? And well, it's it's because like. You gotta love him, right? He's still he's because he's still Snoop Dogg. Somehow he's still best friends with Martha Stewart. Oh yeah, they get along great. Oh, he still smokes weed every day. Every day. Every day. I mean, and but like he's just like I don't know. He's just the he's like the Andrew WK of the hip hop world. I can see that. He's but gonna not, get but older. Like, he's about less foul though, but he's not foul. But he's not foul. No. Like I'm sure he curses in his own time, but I feel like. He either doesn't curse in public scenes, or if he does, he's so chill about it, I've never noticed. Yeah, he's the chillest man on the world. Whereas I the am world. the opposite of chill. I am always energized, even when I'm not, and just loud. Yeah, let's get the wawa. Is this coffee here? It is coffee. It's now nice that I remember warm. that mug. So I have one of those mugs at, this, at the wawa where you get a discounted refill, mm-hmm. and the moment I remembered that I had it after having it for like two years... I was like, I better start using this thing. And the first time I got used to it, I was like, this is effective. Why did I ever not do this? And now I just, every time I come for the recording of the show, I have to bring my refillable Wawa cup. I'm not getting paid to say that. I, I swear. Th- I feel um, like, um, Pernell, you're in New Game Plus, and you've come back with all of the extra Wawa coffee that like you didn't drink in your first playthrough. Well, no, they just keep giving me more. Oh, <laughs> They, keep, they continue to supply me with the coffee, and the caffeine already burned through me, so I, I don't know what I could have carried over from previous sessions. Maybe the, the the blood pressure? I mean, if they keep giving it to you, then you just the have- The heart rate. The heart rate. Yeah, it's the heart rate. You carried over your heart rate. There it is. It's not hit points. It's it's heart points. Gotta pump that blood. I just gotta get it through my system, which, by the way, always throws me for a loop. Yeah, get it through your system and then in, out the door. Yeah. You, you, you gotta give it away. Yes. Give it away, give it a win there. <laughs> but like, I just, I don't know. Like, I've, I've, I've always been a tea guy, and then one day I just started drinking coffee. And now mm. I guess I think what it boils down to is that coffee is easier to access on the go without sugar in it. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of tea, a lot of tea needs sweetener. Now, not all of it does, but for sure. For, for me, I don't drink no tea. None of my tea has sweetener. But if mm. you buy it out and about, it's likely gonna have sweetener. Yes, like you can't. If you're not going to a tea house, which doesn't be that doesn't count as out and about. It's a specialty location. Um, if you're going out and about and you want a glass of tea, mm. cold or hot. Well, you're not getting it hot. Um, if you want it cold, it's going to have sugar. Yeah. At most, I've come across maybe one or two vintage that will offer one non-sweetened version, which is rare to see because companies believe people don't want to drink unsweetened beverages, so they don't even stock it. I know. Well, I, I drink tea every day. <laughs> drink tea every and day. I definitely sweeten my tea. Sweeten tea some uh, days. With milk, too. Or, uh, you know, uh, the oat milk that I like. Oat so milk much. and honey. Yeah, honey, too. Honey's good. I like um, Earl Grey. I like PG Tips. I like red rose tea. That's what I, I drink. like big games, and I cannot lie. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come around to all of these like classic hip hop references at some point. Which is the funniest thing because I never was into hip hop. That's that's like, okay. I, I grew up listening to it, but I was never right into it. Like you know how it goes. Like when you're young, whatever music is in your being pumped in your ears by those around you, that's yes. your influence. Yeah. And I grew up around hip hop, R and B, and rap. So that was what I would hear. That's what influenced me, and that's what I listened to, and that's why I was able to recall back then. But the moment I was able to diverge into other stuff, yeah. my interest took me there, and that's pretty much where I stayed. Mm-hmm. Yet, classic references are still gold to me. Yeah, they're I still, just don't have new stuff still in your brain. That's why, like, I still have like like Beatles music is like still like in my DNA somehow. I just listened to it so much growing up. I just know every word to all these songs somehow. Like how living in a light yellow submarine feels great. Pre pre seventies, <laughs> pre <laughs> pre, uh, pre uh, Sergeant Pepper's. Uh, most of that stuff is definitely in there. Yeah, I don't know why I don't like the Sergeant Pepper stuff so much. But no, no. But I, Yo MTV Raps was my childhood, and mm-hmm. I and Public Enemy was my school teacher. And Run, yeah, D- and, and, and Run DMC taught math. Wait, so your teacher was Mr. Public Enemy or yeah. Mrs. Public Enemy? It, it was. Doctor Terminator X, thank you very much. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Got to give those credentials when they earn them. Yes, Chuck D was my study hall. <laughs> that sounds like a very <laughs> loud classroom. It was the best classroom. All right, so this week we are going to... I, I don't know what we're going to call the episode. We could, we could call it... I, I'm afraid to call it what we want to call it. No, we just call it the Nintendo Power Hour in honor of Gilvis Center. Okay, that, that, that if you want to give it that long name. I just wrote down Nintendo. Don't. I think it's going to give the wrong impression, though, that we're just going to play Genesis music this whole episode. Pretty much. It also probably would give the impression (laughs) that we're not like like liking Nintendo. But the truth is, it's a little bit more complicated. Is Nintendo saying Nintendo because Nintendo does not like other people using any of their properties for anything other than giving them money? In a sense, yes. Like it's a it's a sticky wicket of a topic. Let's just get this out the the pretense out the way in advance, which is that. You know, a company has licensed properies, um, and as have as the possession, the possession of those IPs, I'm sure our actual accredited lawyer could tell us whether or not it's true what the internet likes to say, which is that if you allow someone to use your product or property in some way, that you just allow them to do it, and then somewhere down the line, someone comes along and does something different, they can't contest it or something because you let it happen once. I never understood that. Well, one. well, well let's but, just let's just say this, right? So, uh, give us honor. Gilvisana. I'm going to get that confused the whole episode. Gilvisana had a YouTube page hosting uh, Nintendo soundtracks along with a lot of other people 
Mm-hmm. But Nintendo was like, no, we're selling soundtracks. You need to go away. Actually, they weren't even doing that. They're not even selling soundtracks. Just, it was just like one day they said, you can't do it anymore. So they hit them with a lot of YouTube yeah. takedown notices. Now, and that's where I was leading into with the statement of like, we, I, we get it. Like, if it's your call to do with what you want with your licensed property. Mm-hmm. So there's no, I can't personally find legal fault or reason unreasonable fault with the action. The only thing that gets me is the fact that, well, two things. One, we're a VGM podcast. We and a number of other VGM podcasts you listen to, may listen to, our primary focus when we do these, you know, these shows is to come up with ridiculous or creative ways to say, here's some cool music you might want to listen to. And it also gets a dialogue going about video games and the music they contain. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, all of us, get our music from a variety of internet sources because even though we could rip them, everyone out here is not ripping every track they put on their show. There's no way. So you're getting it from other sources, whether it be like blank site or blank site or random site yeah. or friend site and or if, YouTube. And if you'd like to know more about these sites, you can contact us on our Discord. But the, we're not going to just go outright and say that on the podcast. On the podcast. But, and, uh, but there's some other great VGM podcasters who are also, I would say preservationists yes like ed wilson of the vg embassy yes he is definitely a fantastic source because he puts it out there for everyone to have access to yes so it's like to hear that someone like gilva sunner was taken down by nintendo uh well they didn't take him down per se but i understood he ultimately said i'm done because he doesn't want to deal with the constant takedowns and stuff but to see that genuine source of like vgm accessibility just go away also, in a situation where, in a lot of cases, the music he was putting out there isn't necessarily or accessible in other ways sometimes. It's true. Um, it's kind of unfortunate. So, the idea of this particular episode is to pretty much be like, as a sort of like a sort of semi-thank you, because we've never met the guy. We don't know what he looks like. He is a internet amoeba to us. Yes. We just know that he existed and he provided a good service. So it's a sort of semi-honor to him having done what he did. And also, talk about Nintendo tracks. Yeah, <laughs> and in the spirit of free use. <laughs> yeah. It's all Nintendo stuff. Because we're going to talk all over it and provide context. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, Nintendo. <laughs> Don't shake us down. That's what we're going to do. All right, so we've got some Nintendo tracks today. Yes. Nintendo. Now, in my case, like I had, believe it or not, I had a surprisingly challenging time thinking of stuff because you want like like classic Nintendo properties or well, classic-ish because I had a whole argument with somebody too long ago about what, what's considered retro, and we had very different perspectives on that. But hmm. it's up being weird in that I originally was like Nintendo first-party games that that uh, they're only out of them. But then I realized, my brain was like, well, the only ones that always ever come to mind are like the Mario, Metroid, Zelda. And I'm like, well, I'm not too big on a lot of the music from some of those games. That's true. Not that they're bad music, it's so much they're more atmospheric but in a lot of cases. I went around, right? I went, I went further out, right? I, I Kirby Kirby is how Laboratories, but Kirby is definitely Nintendo now. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's one of the, in one case, I did something like that where mm. I was like, same concept. I was like, okay, well, this is essentially a Nintendo in-house party. Mm. So they're like a quote-unquote second party company, which would technically count. Um, And unlike the choice I made, Hal is still with Nintendo. Um, So that would have been like something that would count. But I was like going like hard at first. I was like, I got it. What did Nintendo do? And at first I was like, should I choose something like Codename Steam? 
But I don't never even got to get into Code Nasty. I don't know anything about it. I have no attachment to that. Don't even know what that is. It's like a 3DS game they put out when they were trying to draw buzz to the system because it was not it wasn't pulling much weight at the time. Uh, okay. So I was like, here's a game that people will buy. A uh, well, strategy game involving steampunk <laughs> fighters. I don't know. Huh. Well, I mean, because this is a, a full Nintendo episode, I haven't played any of these games. Like I haven't owned a Nintendo system since the NES. I mean, honestly, someone. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess contemporary because I, I owned a I owned a Super Nintendo. You had a DS. Oh, yeah, it's true. I did own a DS when they when they were still making DS games because mm-hmm. I, I got the Super Nintendo probably when I was seventeen. So that was ninety seven. They were on the tail end of. They were cutting the support around that time. Yeah, ninety seven was. I mean, ninety seven or ninety eight. That's probably when I bought it. And so for my a flea market. So that tells you like the N sixty four and the PlayStation were in full swing. Mm-hmm. And then I got the N64. No, my brother got an N64. I never bought that thing. And then and that was it. Until the DS. Until the DS. And then that was it. I Whereas I... GameCube, the Wii, the Wii U, the Wii U-U, the Wii Yo-Yo. It's all right. See, <laughs> that's not for me. And then you get to this end of the table. I had an NES donated to me mm-hmm. by my uncle. Um, then I had a Super Nintendo donated to me by my uncle. Uh, then after that is when I started working. And then I eventually, after that, I bought every console they ever released on release day from that point forward. Mm-hmm. So the N64, the Game Boy Color, the right. Game Boy Advance, the Wii, the Wii U, the GameCube, 3DS, the DS, every stupid iteration of those blasted things. All of them, except for the Virtual Boy, let that thing rot. Didn't even bother with it. That was, that, that was a follow-up question. <laughs> right. Do we have Do we have any Virtual Boy tracks on today's episode? No. That's, that's a That's like an unmined like territory there. I feel like I should have though, because I've never listened to the Mario Tennis OST from that system or Mario Clash or Wario Land. Yeah, well, but I've heard good things about all their games. There's some good music there too. We should We should definitely dive into that. I, I don't think we have enough for a full episode, <laughs> but we can We can look at that. But we're gonna start with some. Let's start. Let's get, let's start with some Kirby music. This is from the game Kirby Star Allies. This track is composed by Junishikawa, classic Kirby composer, classic Kirby goodness. The track is called Reef Resort.
You're listening to Reef Resort from Kirby Star Allies for the Nintendo Switch. Composed by Jun Ishikawa. This is a good one. Mm. I've you were trying. You were saying you want the carrots to taste like the potato chips. I wasn't looking. Yeah, I want. I'm eating carrots, and I also have a bag of flaming hot nacho Doritos. So you want flaming hot nacho carrots? Yes, I want yeah, the I'm carrots to taste like the chips. But then I guess if the carrots tasted like the chips, people wouldn't want to eat the chips, and they'd be eating a much healthier, delicious alternative. I no, I don't think so. I because th- I, I think what makes. I think what makes the chips taste so good is all of the salt and the and the friedness, and so you you would do that to the carrot, and then the carrot wouldn't be healthy anymore. That is true, but you can season the carrot. That's season. the thing. Like you can put you yeah. can put some salt on the carrot, and it would still be healthy, but not as healthy as a salt-free carrot, mm. but still healthier than Doritos. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> also, unlike Doritos, carrots would actually fill you up, so you couldn't infinitely eat carrots. You would have a lot more fiber for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fibercon. Fibercon? What's right. Fibercon? Well, that's the thing that we used to joke about when we were in going to anime conventions. One, Fibercon was an old product from the 80s or 90s, rather, for regularity. And then the other part of it was like, well, time to go to Fibercon. You can kind of reference what that meant um, just from that statement there. Got it. Uh, yeah. Got it. So uh, there, uh, there's your Pernell Garbage Pail Kid tip of the day. A night of anime con revelry from the early 2000s that's correct. and then a morning of anime coffee from the early 2000s you go to Fibercon. you go to Fibercon. <laughs> i love it that's a that just has anything to do with kirby though but kirby i'm sure believe it or like not a, he hasn't gone to Fibercon. as much kirby's as a little yellow or pink fluff ball he's he's like a he's, little, he's been every he's color. like a round thing he eats enemies he spits them out sometimes he's made of yarn he's cute he's got he's just a circle with a face Kirby is probably one of my all-time favorite game characters mm. of all, just period. Like, from the day that they were created or introduced, because to this day, I don't know if Kirby even has, like, an established status. It's just, it's Kirby! It's like that that thing where people say, you know, what are you wearing? You know, wearing, wearing a shirt. So, what would you, oh, I'm going to hold it. Point is, <laughs> Kirby is <laughs> Kirby, yeah. and I love Kirby. Uh, He's cute. And She's cute. They're, they're cute. Are. We they're, don't know. Yeah, yeah. Kirby is just great. And the thing about Kirby is that, uh, to me, anyway, they are one of the most broken video game characters in existence as well because they are they have like that Luffy, One Piece, like invulnerability state where he's like a fluffy thing. Mm-hmm. So if you punch him or if you punch them, they just kind of absorb the shock and just let it out. Like, it's no big deal. They can eat anything and become anything. The development time for Smash Brothers was increased Solely by Kirby's existence in the game, because for every character they added, they had to come up with a way to implement Kirby having his power. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Now I have a question for you, right? So he's like, he's a little Rashid. There, they are a little little pink thing. Honestly, that's like all that counts. That's <laughs> Kirby. Yeah, it's with cute eyes and and, and rosy cheeks. Yeah, now, does Kirby wear shoes, or is that? Is don't that, don't don't go down that hellhole. Because no, I've never thought about this. And Kirby is Kirby. Don't I don't even want to think about that because it, I've seen no. It's a darker pink. Hold on. What if I what if I search Kirby Nintendo feet? Do not do that. What if I don't do that? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> way to, to way to ruin it for yourself. <laughs> All right. So the point is, Kirby's awesome, <laughs> but the internet tries to ruin a wonderful thing every chance it gets. Oh, that's Kirby the best one. <laughs> and Kirby is the most powerful Nintendo character that I can think of. <laughs> if you can think of a more powerful Nintendo character, you by all means tell me, Kirby, and I'll you, say you're wrong. K- 
Kirby with the human feet is is strangely horrible. Oh, beautiful. It's, no, it's horrible. What? Don't don't take the majesty <laughs> that is Kirby and ruin them why, using human characteristics. Why does everyone draw Kirby with real feet, but but give Kirby like really nasty old man feet? You know, like Kirby's you don't, you don't Kirby's get that, travel. You don't get that kind of you don't you don't get that level of foot. That age of foot, unless you've walked on it for a number of years. Have you seen the number of adventure Kirby's number of adventures that Kirby's been on? But have you noticed how much he floats? No, Kirby goes. They they uh, run. A, they jump. Finally, they flop, we know what's going flop. on here. <laughs> Kirby is amazing. Don't you tarnish my wonderful, wonderful friend with look. these horrible images off the internet. All right, Kirby's yeah, great, I'm and a- Star Allies, mind you. That's like one of the only ones I've never played because mm. uh. I kept telling myself, I'll wait to get on a sale, wait to get on a sale. And then I read that it was like overly traditional for mm-hmm. a Kirby game, which at the time of this release, my brain was saying, you know, I want to see a little new for Kirby. I'm tired of 2D, 2D platform, eat thing, become thing Kirby. They can do more with this character, especially after what they've made in the past. Mm. So now I've kind of missed the boat, and we've got Kirby in the Forgotten Land coming out next month, which I'm really looking forward that to, especially really, after the recent Nintendo Direct trailer. That looks really cool. And... I, I'm going to mention on the show as well as I've done on like the internet already, which is the fact that I was insulted in that trailer because they show Kirby's new powers, whereas he eats large objects, and rather than swallow them, he kind of envelops them, yeah. and he gives them new powers, and the first thing they showed was Kirby swallowing a car, which then he could drive around, and before they said what it was called on the actual Nintendo Direct, I said, oh my god, it's Kirby! Carby. And then they gave it some name. I'm like, that's not. No, Carby was right there. It's right in their face. Carby is Kirby plus car. And then he's like a traffic cone. So I was like, now it's Coneby. And my one friend goes, like, I've seen Coneby. I've seen Canby. Mm. They even gave Kirby the refrigerator power back by letting, letting him in the refrigerator. And then they just oh. pretty much start barfing food. So, so instead of like. <laughs> Like Kirby is so, amazing. So instead of like actually eating the thing and getting its power, what he's doing now is they're eating the the thing, but it's they're just becoming the shape of it because it's like they're stretching, they're not swallowing it's, it. Yeah, stretching it out. Yeah. yeah, rather than swallowing and digesting it, it's just reshaping their body to let them do new cool things. Well, it creates a whole new game dynamic. You, like there's gliding and there's like shooting and there's so much more you can do with it. And I tell you the the amazing thing about it too is the fact that <laughs> if you really want to take what Kirby is right and what Kirby could do in previous games, all of the things Kirby is doing with this mouthful mode could have been done with classic copy powers, but yeah. Just by doing it the way they are and changing the aesthetic of the power usage, mm-hmm. it still feels fresh and new, which is awesome to me. Oh, and crafting. They're going to add crafting, Kirby crafting. Yeah, but they've, they've kind of done that before with Amazing Mirror, whereas instead of crafting, it was finding a special scroll, and uh. the scroll would enhance the power of a copy ability, huh. or in this case, a hat. So, again, it's another case of they've done it before. They could have done it with the old skills, but they changed it just enough to feel fresh. Like, now I'm crafting instead it of getting does, a scroll to it do does, it. It does look fresh. And it's been like, what, 20, 30 years since the last Kirby game? I'm joking. I'm about to say, <laughs> what are you doing to me? 20 or 30 years since I've last played a Kirby game. So, I picked, I wanted to pick a Kirby song because to me, Kirby is very Nintendo. You know, it's platforming, it's 2D wholesome. or 3D, it's wholesome, it's cute, it's just, it's you pick it up and it's just fun. The original Kirby I played on the Game Boy, I think was the first one, mm-hmm. was not hard. It was just fun. 
And yes. I played it over and over again, not because it was difficult, but because it was just fun to play through. Agreed. Yeah. And like you unlocked the extra mode, which was a little more difficult, but it wasn't no, hard. Not much and that more, was fun. Yeah. It changed some of the enemy patterns and attack flows. It was a great time. And the thing about Kirby I like the most, aside from, again, them being like fantastic, cute, and broken, is the fact that Hal has gone. They did a lot of different things with Kirby. Kirby's done pinball, Kirby's done tilting games, Kirby's done golf. Which they need to really bring back. They brought back Wii Sports, but we can't get Kirby's Dream Course 2. That would be awesome. It it took a Game Grumps like team of hackers to like make a decent like new version of uh, uh, Kirby Star Course. Yeah, I miss I miss that series so much. Kirby's Dream Course was like so good. It was it only had three original courses, and you just wanted more when you were done. I remember we we played it on stream one time, and I was like, "This is it. That was all there is." Yeah, and they just it. let it sit there. Yeah, they had Kirby had that one game. Kirby's was it Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, Kirby and Canvas Curse. Which, by the way, Kirby Canvas Curse is also one of my all time favorite DS games too. Um, these are all games that have existed by Kirby because they were like, "Hey, we want to do something weird and different and potentially innovative. We can use Kirby for that. Kirby's cute. People can't hate Kirby. They'll just smile and go, this game makes no sense. But how can I hate that face?'" And then he'll buy it anyway. Yeah. That's the secret bit. <laughs> the, the secret of it is that he's all face. <laughs> that there's, is there's, true. No, there's nothing else there. Just all face and, and something. Adorable and, sound effect. And some kind of foot happening. Gee, let it go. It's, he's, it's kinda, Kirby. Walking somehow. It's Kirby. All right, what's your, what's your first track, Kirby Hater? It's, uh, I'm, I love Kirby. You forget it. This comes from. Then you have to love all of Kirby. Nope. Kirby <laughs> is Kirby. <laughs> uh, I. Totally forget which track I wanted to go from this game. I wrote two down. Oh, why don't you just announce the game then, and then we'll, we'll pick the track. Okay. Yeah. The game itself is called Blast Corps for the N64, Ooh. and the composer's Graham Norgate. And I'll tell you what the track title is when we come back.
Welcome back. You're listening to the track from what we consider the, bl- the, the, the Black Ridge workstage from the game Blast Corpse, composed by Graham Norgate, released on the N64. So this game had a number of stages and a number of reused tracks, mm. and the OST wasn't actually named, per se. This was back when the OSTs weren't getting enough love to be considered nameable tracks. Just here's a tune. Um, so this is essentially just the track that plays for that stage in the game. Um Blast Corpse was originally created by Hal, not Hal, sorry, Rare, which at the time was a in-house Nintendo studio before they eventually parted ways with them and got bought by Microsoft. Um, so I feel as though this counts for the sake and purpose of this episode. I really, really wish something like this got a sequel mm-hmm. or a reimagining by another studio because Blast Corps at the time, anyway, was the very definition of unique concept for a game, and it felt extremely fresh and original. It was a very, very odd. I remember when people were telling me, like, like when, when they were playing this in the N64, I was expecting, like, oh, it's a new Mario or new Donkey Kong. And like, no, it's you have to blow things up in the city so that a nuclear weapon doesn't run into buildings. Yes. And I was like, that's different. <laughs> and it was so good. Like, they give you a variety of different vehicles all serving the same purpose of destroying objects. Um, And yet somehow with this concept, they provided so much content. So you originally just had to destroy the buildings and clear a path for the tanker. But in addition to that, you could do it quickly. You could find all the survivors that were littered throughout the stage. There were hidden objects hidden on the level. So sometimes you'll get like a car and get out of it or get out of your car to go to inaccessible locations mm-hmm. to find these hidden things on the map. Some things were really well hidden. Um, and you had to earn medals to unlock stuff. There was a bunch of hidden stages, including a Pac-Man stage, oh. which was really cool. Kind of makes sense. And like, at the end, yeah. you end up going to the moon. Like there was like a bunch of moon. Or you go to the moon and then a bunch of different planets like Jupiter and Neptune. It just got ridiculous, and I was in love with this game. And but the, here's the thing: I was going to choose another track that may end up showing up at the end of the episode. I'm, we haven't figured that out yet, but I went with this one because this one has a better quote-unquote radio sound to it. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty funky. I love the organ sound in this track. Well, it's a bop. Yeah. There's no denying that. But the other track I was going to pick is the one that gives me the most memories because it was the track that played on the hardest level in the game for me where you had to pilot this one vehicle called the Backlash. It was a dump truck that had a steel dump bay, I guess you call it, whatever you call the the bay that dumps stuff out the back of the dump truck. Um, But as a result of how it was designed, you only could destroy objects by drifting into them with your butt. So you had to drive the truck, go into a drift, and then smash your butt into the side of the building, akin to like if you slam your butt into the side of a vending machine to get Mm -hmm. food to fall out. And I can't think of any other way to do that. I do it all the time. Yeah. I do it almost every day. I get people who call me over to the vending machine because I have the special way of knocking stuff out of the machine. You have the magic booty. I do. And don't you forget it. <laughs> um, so it's like you end up having to deal with the dump truck. But when you're doing this under pressure of this tanker coming your way, yeah, you make a lot of mistakes. And you will fail a great deal. And you will find yourself going, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why did it rare? I think it was a great idea to have a, a drifting dump truck as a destruction, an object of destruction. It's such a great it's it's such a great video game idea because I feel like it, it, it creates a sandbox for you to play in. Mm-hmm. You know? 
It, it was just, it's a game that, to this day, this game came out in the 90s, and there's not been a thing like it. There's been other games where you destroy things, mm -hmm. sure, but there's never been a game like this mm -hmm. since then. It's the only one of its kind, and that, in this day and age, is something to say. <laughs> no else is replicated. And it was a good game. It wasn't like it was a terrible game, therefore never repeat it. Yeah, it was unusual and it was fun. You know, mm -hmm. and there's, there's a plenty of unusual games out there, especially in the PlayStation era, where we were like, you know, we don't have to do that again. But this one, I would love to see something different with it. You know, Blast yeah. Core Two, Blast Harder. I don't know, Blast Mo Bla Mount Blast, or some more. kind of crossover of of uh, Blast Corps with Bomberman. That'd be kind of fun. Or Blast Corps, you know, Bomberman with would make Phoenix it way right. Bomberman would make it way too easy. Yeah, but if you merged it with Phoenix Wright, it would be quite interesting because in the first half of the game, you're destroying everything, and in the other half, your Phoenix Wright's going to court to defend them. When all the city starts suing them for reckless endangerment, right? Like, but I was asked in, to do it, and it, I was—I saved the world. And you're like, but you did blow up millions and millions of dollars worth of property. Like, sir, we asked you to clear a pathway for the nuclear tanker. We did not ask you to destroy the other three quarters of the neighborhood that you were tasked to protect. Objection. <laughs> we did use a really cool robot one time. Sustained. That was a really cool robot. That was a cool robot. But like, I. I, I adore Blast Court, and I still to this day break it out sometimes to play it. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a great game. I mean, I have to think about like I mentioned earlier about the idea like how much content it had, but I can't put into words how great it felt whenever I was like, wait, there's something more. How there's something more. How how is N64 emulation these days? If I wanted to like play some N64 titles, you know, I don't know. I've, yeah. I'm assuming they they pulled it off. I'm sure. I mean, I mean, I'm still but I still rock the old console, honestly. Yeah, but yeah. I think. I mean, I've, I feel like I've heard people claim they've been used, they were used in formulation. Well, what about, what about, what about the rest of us who just want to play Blast Corps for the afternoon? <laughs> I'm guessing this is available. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, the only system I heard of from the retro days that mm. I heard they just never pulled off properly was the Saturn. But other than that, yeah, because yeah, the, the challenges with that. Yeah, but other than that, I feel like everything's it was done. Hmm. Everything's coming up N64. Alright, so my next track is coming from the game Donkey Kong Country Returns. Ooh, that's a good one. This 3DS, is, right? Um, sure. I did not look at the, the I just was looking up games, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh 3DS. Uh composed by one of these or one one or a combination of Monaco Hamano, Masahiro Tajima, Shinji Ushiroda, and Taisuke Matsukoka. This is the Palm Tree Grove from Donkey Kong Returns.
You're listening to The Palm Tree Grove from Donkey Kong Country Returns. Composed by Minako Hamano, Masaharu Tajima, Shinji Ishiroda, and Daisuke Matsuoka. And clearly, I need to get go. this level. Or maybe I just didn't remember this track in the game proper, but this definitely is... This, I, I'm, this sounds like a really, really good rendition of the main theme of the original Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. And... Yes, fantastic. And Donkey Kong Country in general is one of those platforms I consider to be like fun and pure. Like I think I talked about in the show in the past how Nintendo threw up the original Donkey Kong Country as being this sort of thing where it's like PlayStation's out, it's got 3D graphics. How do we compete with that? Don't you worry, we got something up our sleeve. They will never want to leave the Super Nintendo when they see Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> it's the same game, it's still 2D, but things look nicer. Yeah, so they would. So Rare made 3D renders of Donkey Kong running around, and then every frame of animation they turned into a sprite. And there's a lot of frames of animation for all of these characters. And that's how Donkey Kong Country yeah. came to look the way it did? Yes, it is. I mean, the game is beautiful. It was the, I remember seeing it and thinking like, oh, it's the same idea of the digitized people in Mortal Kombat, but instead of digitizing people, they digitized a 3D model to make it a really smooth animation. And the amazing thing, this yeah. is back before the internet, too, so Nintendo got the word out by mailing every subscriber of Nintendo Power a VHS cassette. Oh, that's right. With yeah. Donkey Kong Country footage on it. <laughs> so you could just watch it on your VCR to go, I can't wait to play this game. But then when you get the game, it is, at its core, a very basic platformer. It is. You can hop, you can bop, you, you can, can you roll. You can roll and you can stop. And you know what? Oh, also there's a minecart level, because of course there is. And I'm going to tell you something. At that time, anyway, I was enamored with Donkey Kong Country. Mm. Loved Donkey Kong Country. I didn't really care about the second and third, because at that point, I was kind of done with the formula. But I loved the first Donkey Kong Country. So yeah, when you, Donkey- you start the left, get to the right. And that's the game. And that's the game. It's classic Mario style, but with like really fun-looking characters. Really Monkeys. Fantastic music. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when Donkey Kong Country Returns or 3D came was announced... I got hit with that nostalgia bug. I was like, oh, I used to love Donkey Kong Country. And then Donkey Kong Country 4 came along and said, no. So I jumped on board. I bought it. And I enjoy what I play of it. But at that point, I was also like, well, I just bought five games in one day. I can only play so much of one at a time. <laughs> right. Because I was doing a terrible job of financial management. Hmm. I told you the story about the credit card bill. That was no lie. Yes. Um, yeah. So, but I turned around. I turned that corner. Uh, but anyway, the point is, the point is, Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D was a fantastic return to form, and musically, as you can clearly hear right now, oh, this is so I good. believe actually one-upped I think its so. original incarnation. Uh, I mean, it's different. It's just different. But I, I love, I love this sound. I mean, well, this is oh, you mean, incarnation, I mean, you, the you original, original track. track. Oh yeah, no, this is this, this is like takes the track. And it doesn't just put a little jazz on it. it. It turns it all the way up. It throws the entire bar on top of it. I, I love it. I love the way it even like kind of dies back down and then pits, picks back up again. It's really clever. It, the solo, the flute solo. How often do you get a flute solo in a Nintendo game? Not, not often. Twice. Well, do you have a flute solo in your next track? No, so still twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next track... Um, not going to particularly be a creative one, but Bobby Gum, if it's not a great one that I've listened to for many years, that is from the game Mario Kart 64, 
And again, not an official title for this. You went N64 on this one, didn't you? I really kind of did. Yeah. I, I picked a track from that system. I was like, I'm just going to stay here. Originally, I was going to go to Game Boy Club, but I was like, nah, I'm comfortable. Mm. Um, so this is from the Royal Raceway stages when it was played. Also, Wario Stadium, two of my favorite courses in the game. This was composed by, I want to say, Kenta Nagata. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. The Royal, Royal Raceway? That's right. All right, I can say Royal, Royal, Royal. Grand Royal with cheese. Royal Raceway. Grand Royal with cheese. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to the Royal Raceway in Wario Stadium Jam um, from the game Mario Kart 64 from the Nintendo 64 and composed by Kenta Nagata. So I mainly picked from this game because, one, I love this track. Two, for as many Mario Kart games have been released since this game's release, this one still has the most fond memories in my life from playing Mario Kart and was the one I actually managed to play the most from a multiplayer perspective. Second probably being Mario Kart DS, which was a fantastic multiplayer game yes. until the community learned to break it by using light characters like Dry Bones and just constant sparking ad nauseum forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this game was just a jam. This was like the first four-player Mario Kart game. Now we take it for granted. We have eight-player Mario Kart now. Right. Um, but back then, it was like four-player Mario Kart. They had battle arenas that were 3D. It wasn't just those flat spaces on the Super Nintendo version, which opened up, opened up a brand new set of tactics, like sending green shells off of ledges on top of people's heads. But at the same time, it was also so RAM-intensive, or rather the system couldn't handle it so much that if you had more than two players, they didn't have music on the battle mode and races. It was pretty funny. Wasn't Wait, I'm ter- wasn't I'm confused. Wasn't Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo? Didn't wasn't that also four player? Or am, I, am I remembering that wrong? You might. I mean, if there was an option for the for like the multi tap, I didn't know about it. To my knowledge, there's only two players. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it must have been only only been two players. I must be thinking some other games then. 
So the original Mario Kart, I played to death multiplayer. Like, that was the multiplayer game. The funny thing about Mario Kart, the base one, though, the original Super Nintendo one, to this day, like, back then, I could do it. Like, I understood how the controls worked and I could maneuver the car. Having gone to 3D spaces and then going back to that Mario Kart, I am terrible. Like, because yeah, in that game, it's like, the way you had described Mario Kart 1 as far as how it was designed to work is, you remember those old toys back in the day where it was just like a car attached to a stick, and there was a steering wheel attached to the stick, and then you turned the thing on, and it was a scrolling foreground. Yeah. Or a scrolling background, and you just turned the wheel to move the car left to right, and the background moved independently from what your car was doing. That's how Mario Kart Super Nintendo always felt to me. It was like, if I were to turn, it was just the game, the map just moving around my car. The, the car wasn't moving around the map. The map was moving around the car. That is kind of how the game worked, yeah. And I can't... Now that I've done what I've been doing, I have a hard time mentally wrapping my head around driving my car in that space. So I do a terrible job on the levels where there's, like, no borders, so you don't have a cushion if you slam against the wall or something. So I won't bet money on Mario Kart Super Nintendo. And 64, I'll take you out. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely... Mario Kart was definitely the Mode 7 idea of how to make a racing game right it was raster graphics taking 2d putting it into 2d planes putting it into a 3d field and then having your camera kind of right around the track it's also kind of like a really great way this this was like this was like the college game i didn't go to college but i had friends who went to college (laughs) got the boots off of their dorm space this is what they played this is this is all they what they played and it was it was fun as a guy who did go to college very briefly i can tell you this came out before I went to college, but I took it with me. Mm-hmm. And this Mario Party 1 and Super Smash Brothers 1 were the big hits in my dorm room. Could have been GoldenEye. I said no, because I didn't like GoldenEye enough oh, no? to do it. Yeah, I, I, someone bought it for me for Christmas because it was how popular. Like, Anthony, if he's listening to the episode, Anthony bought it for me for Christmas back then. And uh, everyone liked it because it was just the end game, but I was not an FPS aside from Doom, so... For me, it was just like, I'll play if my friends are playing, but others, I really don't care. Oh, yeah, and Doom Doom didn't have a Z-axis, so in Goldeneye, you actually had to aim up and down along with left and right. Actually, no. So, I got, I would have, I'm not going to knock it because I thought this, I would have thought the same thing because my memory of Goldeneye was fuzzy, but let's say about a month ago, played it at Francis's joint, and we did the four-player mode. Yeah. No, it was just left and right turning and going up and down still, but there was no jump button. There was no axis aiming. No, there's no there's no Z-axis. I thought there was. No. Wow. I was shocked, too. I was like, wait a minute. I remember aiming this gun, but no. It's just running around in circles. Like, bah, 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 bah. Um, so. Wow, it's been so, it has been that long. And the thing about it is like, kind of like how I was talking about Super, Super Nintendo Mario Kart, though, in a not as complicated way, but. I have a hard time looking back on Goldeneye, and I said this when we were playing. I was like, we used to think this game was the bee's knees back in the day. And this game existed at the same time as Quake, which did have Z-axis aiming. Yeah, wow. Oh, oh here we go. The first shooter game with the Z-axis gaming, probably, well, yeah, on the N64, I think, was Turok. Yeah, Turok, and then Perfect Dark. Yeah, Perfect Dark. All right, so my next track is not Perfect Dark. We're going to <laughs> Super Mario Galaxy 2 for Ooh. the Wii. You win. It was on the Wii. I just, I was. A you good, were sweating. I was a good guess. Um, we're going to listen to the track Throwback Galaxy, which is uh, composed by Koji Kondo, but arranged by Shigatoshi Gohara. 
You're listening to the Throwback Galaxy from Super Mario Galaxy 2. Composed by Koji Kondo for Mario 64. Arranged by... (laughs) Shikatoshi Gohara. Okay, we stopped doing it. Uh, <laughs> this is this is fun. You said this may be like an unlockable thing at the end of the game. Yeah, because like I did, I played the Living Daylights out of Mario Galaxy One, but for some reason, and actually, I went back to messing around with Mario Galaxy Two back in November, but then stopped because again, I get sidetracked easily. But I would like to go back and finish this game. But I think this was an unlockable level in the game because this is a read. Uh, I guess like a I want to say a read. It's just called a redo because my brain's not all there right now. It's a reimagining of the original theme from Super Mario 64's Bomb Battlefield stage. Uh, this it sounds really freaking good. And we were talking about this on the break, the fact that I get such good, warm memories whenever I hear this theme, specifically mm-hmm. this theme, because Mario 64... I feel like I might be being a bit unfair by saying it was the last time that I got a sensation of this is what gaming can do. Yeah. But I will say it was the most intense feeling of that. Um, since then, I could say, at least off the top of my head, I got that same, I got a similar but not as potent feeling from Grand Theft Auto 3 hmm. and Dying Light. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto 3 was a huge jump. You're leaving this a very specific 2D style of game into mm-hmm. something else entirely. You get, you're get you actually getting to explore a 3D rendition of a city mm-hmm. and the only thing it was lacking that got added later to I think Grand Theft Auto 4 was the ability to enter some buildings like run up the side of like multi-level buildings and yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah, you couldn't even I mean, obviously you couldn't do that in the 2D versions of the game, but um, oh man, Grand Theft Auto 2 had like factions of gangs that you had to like kind of do different jobs for and like keep some happy and you might angry anger some other ones it was really complex yeah like it's but people, um, a lot of people yeah. like to focus on like the whole they're hyper violent and you deal with these criminal activities oh, they but, absolutely were but, they but were, it was fun <laughs> they, they were really, really fun but they really did up the ante in gaming like just gaming potential and like yeah. what you could do with a game like well, they and, put and, in that work and what people expected yeah. yeah now they expected back then they didn't like when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out it was just a shock. People were like, wow, this is what this game is all about. And I remember reading the articles about where people saying, this is the, this is the next generation of gaming right here, Grand Theft Auto 3. And uh, then 4 came along, which was just a more robust city with, again, like a few indoor environments and more areas we could like scale buildings as opposed to being like mostly on the ground. And then 5 is just, forget it. <laughs> that thing is that thing is insane. Yeah. Um, and whatever the next one is going to be, 20. 20- I don't even know. They only, they only mentioned they finally started working on it. But then with Dying Light, the reason why I mentioned that game is because we've we've done zombies, we've done 3D exploration, we've done fetch quests and all that junk. Right. But Dying Light took a massive city, slapped on the parkour mechanics of something like Mirror's Edge, upped them a little bit to make them even better, and then said, just go nuts, have fun, do it up. So I quickly lost interest in the narrative of that game and was just like, let me see if I can get to that building. Let me see if I can get to that rooftop. There's a high object there. I bet I can reach it. And you're just trying to work out the mechanics of exploration. Somebody might say, well, what about Assassin's Creed, Pernell? No, Assassin's Creed was not what Dying Light was. Like, Dying Light deserves lots of credit for, in my opinion, dang near perfecting 3D space maneuverability. Mm. And mobility, for that matter. 
Um, it's just it's a gym. It was just fun to. It was it made it fun to do the exploration, right? Yeah, like by design, the game was meant so that they 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 made it so that you didn't want to ever land on the street. Like you had to obviously for stuff, but their the idea was like never go on the ground because there were zombies everywhere. And at night, they became frantic and crazy. Mm. And like, if you were on the green, you're pretty much a dead man at the early parts of the game. So the goal was to always stay on the rooftops and on like this, like running along the sides of buildings and stuff. So it was just keep your momentum and keep active. And it was just, it That's felt cool. really good to mm. play. Like I recommend that game to, well, if you don't get sick anyway, I recommend that game to anybody that likes like platforming games and exploration games. First person? It's first person, which yeah, I mentioned. Yeah. This, this, See, that, that, yeah, yeah, that, that level of maneuvering around and parkour with first person might not be for me but if it was third person I might try yeah I wish yeah. they uh, sometimes with those games I wish they would like have like a pull back feature for like get behind the third person camera but I'm waging that adds its own level of complications to things though right, it's, it's hard to say because it, the, the 3D space is already rendered it's true but it changes like the mechanics of the game and like what what I guess what they've envisioned for like difficulty like yeah, you, know, you, you they, they plan set pieces around what you can see and what you can do, and if you can, if you're pulled back from a third person perspective, you can see a lot more. That's true. So I would see, see what's behind them, you. Yeah, which I mean, it's obviously not realistic. But we're playing video games here, people. And it's funny how I mentioned Dying Light because Mario sixty four, a large part of what made that game feel special, is a lighter version of what I loved about Dying Light. Mario sixty four was like the first Mario game or platformer, period, for that matter, where you had a three D space. And Mario was able to completely was able to move freely within that 3D space and ascend objects and just do a lot of different acrobatic moves. He had acrobatic moves that, if I'm not mistaken, you didn't even have to ever do to progress the game. They were just fun. Like he could cartwheel. Yes. Um, he could do all the handstand thing he had to do because that gives you a good jump. He could climb a pole, then do a handstand on top of the pole, and then spring off of it. I spent a good 30 minutes at Toys R Us just running around doing jumps in the field. Like, it was just like, I can do that. I can do a backflip. Do I ever have to? Not really, but it's cool that I can do I a backflip. I think there were some places, like, they had to reach certain places you had to do, because you, 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 you jump a little further higher, a little higher up, I think. Yeah, it lets you go a little higher, but there were other ways to do that, too. Like, generally, like, you could backflip to make it easier to do certain stuff, but technically, they you I don't think you ever could, had could you, to backflip. Can you triangle jump? Like, bounce off walls? Yep, you can wall jump oh, nice. off of things. That's the one that introduced him being able to do wall jumps. So, like, he just had the most... He had such mobility in that game, and you could do so many things. The only thing that was bad in comparison to older games was how they handled power-ups. Mm. But even that was, like, they were still cool when you had them. It's just you wish you could just have power-ups indefinitely. Well, until you got hit, like old Mario games. Yeah, exactly. Like. But you wish that as soon as they gave it to you... It was like, yeah, the, the, the fire flower. You just had the fire flower until you got hit. Yeah, yeah, but in this game, they were all timer-based. Like, hey, you got the wing cat, but it wears off, so you better get where you're going. Right, or well, the metal because, hat, better get where you're going. Because they were creating a different style of game where it wasn't like short set pieces of stages like done really, really fast. These stages could last a lot longer. Mm. So, like, why have the fire flower for the entire stage? If, you know? That's the funny thing you mentioned the fire flower, too, because unfortunately, that was the other weird thing. That was the first, well... I don't want to count Doki Doki Panic because that was just a reimagining. So for the sake of this argument, I'm not counting Mario 2. Um, this was the first Mario game, like platformer Mario game, where he did not have his traditional Fire Flower power-up. Well, um, um, Mario for the Game Boy. 
He had the fire flower in that. Yeah, well, it, yeah, but it was it, he shot balls. It was a fire that bounced flower. around the screen. That was the fire flower. No one's going to tell me <laughs> different. They were fire flower balls. All right. So what's your next track? Um, this is also more Mario. Mario, Mario, Mario. It's almost like we're making the internet meme come to life. Um, this is Breakpoint from the game Mario Tennis on the you guessed it N64. Um, composed by Motoi Sakuraba. Ooh. Welcome back. You're listening to Breakpoint from the game Mario Tennis on the N64, composed by Motoi Sakuraba. I know this was developed by Camelot. I'm still calling it. Yeah, it it's, it's Mario Tennis. It's Nintendo. It's Nintendo-ish. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this sounds like racing music. This this sounds like a like a like a, this to me sounds like a Super Nintendo racing game. This is pure unadulterated Sakuraba. Is what this yeah. is. Like I. Like I was thinking earlier, this could have been this could have easily been like Star Ocean or Golden Sun. More so Golden Sun, I think, though. Yeah. But I love this track to death. This plays when someone's about to actually when someone's one game away from winning a set. Mm. So if I'm at forty all or forty thirty, forty love, doesn't matter. If I'm forty, I'm going for the gold. <laughs> um, and this track is going to play to make sure things are extra tense between the players. Mm. Um, it's I, a, the newest game is Mario Tennis Aces. Yes. That's the newest one, which Motoi Sakuraba also did the compositions for. And it, the break point in Mario Tennis Aces is Aces. It's so good. It's really intense. It's really... It, it, this is intense. That is 
that is really intense. And mm-hmm. the rhythm is really interesting, too. So, And I'll admit, I think it's nostalgia talk, but I was like, I think I still like this one more. Oh. But I bet if I listen to them in more entire, like more repeatedly, side by side. Yeah, you get more of a flavor for it. Or yeah. just play my own copy of Mario Tennis Ace is enough to finally get some appreciation to our actual personal attachment to the track. Mm. Then maybe that'll change. But I feel like the especially the Mario sports games are all about multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Playing with friends, you know, it's just like the the, the single. I'm, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of single player modes in these games, but it's not quite the same. It's not though. the same. And yeah. I think that may even be a part of why I kind of hugged on to the N64 when I started looking at tracks from that system. Because, like I mentioned with Mario Kart, the N64 was the epitome of local multiplayer gaming for me on a console, with the 360 being the epitome of online multiplayer gaming in my lifetime. Uh, beyond that. Regardless of what games were doing and what consoles offered up, I didn't get to experience those things. So, like, I played a lot of Mario. Tennis. We used to have like in-house tournaments between my brother and like friends that would come over. It was like doubles, two on two. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We got we got rowdy too. Like, I miss that kind of stuff. Like, just have people sitting around the rooms, like, "Yo, two two on two. Who's on my team? We got this." Which is why when I did that Neo Turf Masters thing a couple weeks ago, yeah, that just. I mean, I was having a, well, kind of still in, but I was having a pretty rough time. And when I got dragged out for that and we were playing for that window, I was in. I was like, yo, man, we got <laughs> this. I'll get this next hole. I'll get the next hole. I know that hole. I know that course. But for now, you got to run with this. Can you oh, do so it? You played like doubles, but like in teams. Yeah. So oh, it was like, great, it was yeah. like we had this, we, it was only a 1v1 game, but we switched, we passed off on each course. Mm. So it was like two on two. So I was like, okay, I got this hole. You get the next hole. I got this hole. You get the next hole. And we would talk each other up and trash talk the other person. In Mario Tennis, though, it was more direct because like, you were both actually physically playing at the same time. Right. So it had that added element of like, oh, man, you missed the shot. Yes. It, yeah. it was right there. That's why I loved virtual tennis, especially in the arcade. Virtual tennis was just a blast, especially doubles because you were just, oh, it got so... It got it was, heated. It got heated, but it also got like it was also like a um, like a bonding thing, you know. You were having fun at the same time. You were really angry at each other. Oh, the celebratory stuff! Yeah, when you pull off a really good combo, it's like okay, yeah. I sent it over. The other character hit it back, but you were right there in the front. Bam! Sent it right back, and they couldn't react. Way to teamwork that thing. Yeah, like, I missed that kind of stuff. It was like good gaming. That to me is what. Well, that's part of what gaming is all well, about. Like, gaming it creates uh, stories. I yes. feel like uh, like board games to an extent do that too, where like uh, a good game isn't just about the mechanics and the graphics and this or that. It's all about like the story that you can also create while playing it. Like these little magical moments that would have never happened. You know? Oh yeah. Like if yeah. Scott's listening to this episode, he knows all about Scorched Earth, mm-hmm. and you know about it too. I think I've told you about what happened there. But if not, I can tell you right now. I know the classic Amiga game, Scorched Earth. Oh no, Scorched Earth is a at this point is a famous board gaming moment for me personally. <laughs> and we were playing a game called uh, Alien Frontiers, and I'd never played it before. We were all playing it down in Florida, like a little multiplayer session, and we were being taught how to play the game. And on a round, a card was about to get played. Three targets. They target me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's not very fair, but whatever. And the next player went, and that was Mark. And he also had the option to play a card. And this card could have either affected everyone or just one person. And in fact, he targeted me specifically. <laughs> I was like, why did you do that? I'm losing. It's like, it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't trust you. I think you got something. You're like, all right, fine. Whatever. So I'll admit, I'll be blunt. I got a little temper tantrum issue on that note. My brain, anyway, I didn't let it out. But mm-hmm. I was like, all right, it's fine. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll inform your decisions if you're not 
actively flipping a table. That's right. right. So at that point, I got silent, got real quiet, because I acknowledged at that point that when I get expressive and antsy and excitable, I'm losing brain power. I'm losing some brain power to that. Mm-hmm. I'm not focused. So I was like, okay, shut it down. Fine. So I was like, okay, I'm doing this thing to Purnell. Didn't react. Man, he's not saying anything. What's wrong? He's not talking. He's not reacting when we do stuff. He's not, he's not reacting when we jeer him. What's going on? Say anything. Very last turn of the game. Friend was about to win the game. She's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, what thing? Like, well, I'm about to buy my last thing. No, you're not. No, give me. That's mine now. So I took her thing, then stole from two other players. I was like, oh, by the way, I saw this other card. Built in two more. I came up from like four losses. I had to build four objects at the same turn. I was like, there, I'm done. Done. And I'll read, I called it Scorched Earth because at the time when I went quiet, I was like, all right, Scorched Earth. That's it. Burn it all down. <laughs> oh, okay. Everything I, burns. I thought like you were playing to just like ruin the game for everybody. Mm-mm, I want to win. <laughs> but the idea became yeah. I don't need to trade with anybody. I don't need to interact with anybody. Cause I just need to win. What happens in like really large multiplayer games of Ticket to Ride is if you, it's really clear. It's super clear if you're not going to win anywhere because it, the, 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 the map is too crowded mm-hmm. to put any trains anywhere. So at that point, you just put trains anywhere you can just to prevent other people from having a good time. Oh, that would be pretty fun, though. And that happened to me. <laughs> well, you were the guy blocking the roads, or you were the one getting blocked? I was blocked so severely that I just walked off half of the game because it, it literally didn't matter. I had nowhere to go. That's got to be something to be said. A person's like, I'm so out of the, I'm so out of this game. That I'm just going to just block all the pathways. Yeah, I was, I'll, 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 I'll just put a train it. here. I'll put a train there, and it's like you become more of like it's less of I'm going to win and more of like who else? Who else would I like to see win? You become the king. So they were king making. Yeah. Uh, so that, that I'm not too fond of, unless yeah. the king making is like that other time we were playing. I was like, look, you you screwed me over so much. I don't care who wins as <laughs> long as it's a, not you. There's like some history behind it. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it either, but like. Some games you're kind of stuck with it, you know. That's the hand that you're dealt with. Mm-hmm. The hand that we're dealt with right now is called the bonus round. Bonus round. Bam, 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 bonus round. The bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. And um, so, uh, Gilvasana, Gilvasana, <laughs> Um, uh, went through a few different accounts and decided just, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to deal with Nintendo anymore. But there was a parody account called the Silva Gunner, which they also posted Nintendo soundtracks, but mashed up with other bits of music. So this is the stage clear music from the game Dr. Luigi, which was a game. Yeah, it was a game. I'm trying to remember because I'd never personally owned it. It mm-hmm. was a, I can't remember whether it was a downloadable game on like the... On the Wii U, or if it was a pack-in or something. I'll look it up during the break, because I remember it loosely, but I, I saw never it, personally I, owned I, it. I, I never heard of it, and so when I saw it, I was like, is this real or not? And, and I, I'm assuming it is real. But it's mashed up with the song called Afterthought by Joji featuring Benny. I was right. It was a Wii U game. It was a Wii U game. Okay, great. Now I understand. But the original composer is Masaru Tajima. And I was also right. That was an eShop game. I was like, I knew uh, it came in a way where I never had a physical copy of it. And I didn't buy it because I was like, well, I only trusted at the time. I was like, I wasn't really buying Wii U downloadable games. So mm. there it is. Well, the uh, the mashup, it, it works really, really well. So I hope you enjoy uh, Stage Clear 
by Masaharu Tajima and Joji. the stage clear music from dr luigi mashed up with afterthought by joji composed by masaharu tajima mashed up by silva gunner the parody <laughs> youtube station of gunna silva see i got them back success silva gunner is the actual one no no it was gun silva dear god my brain no, I, I had to look it up, and, and everything didn't make sense. That's <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. And then, um, yeah, so I think it was it was either Silva Gunner or the other one. Gilvasana actually made it got the station was taken down, and then they brought it back up again, and they changed the um, the L to an uppercase I, <laughs> so you couldn't really tell. It was such a weird thing. That yeah. whole history is just bizarre. Yeah, it's this weird like 2005 to 2012 history of YouTube. People, people have have like historical like I don't know they they they've, they've they kept historical records of they've YouTube. Cap, yeah, they captured like what happened in those times. Yeah, like, know your meme and um, fanpedia or whatever it's called. And I'll be honest, I really have come to appreciate those things because mm-hmm. it generally spawns from someone just whimsically sharing a meme that they just found funny, mm-hmm. and then I personally become curious because I'm not in on the joke, so I have to go look up. Yes. Person with backwards pants. Why is this funny? Why? Where did it start? Where did it begin? Um, especially like even these early days when things went viral, like you kind of forget about what happened and like, well, where did it, 
where did that begin? You know, and it even also helps a little bit more because I'll give you some context on this. I have a friend who uh, recently was upset about a meme um, regarding a thing where, like, I guess, like a, like a, I guess, like a Korean father mm-hmm. would, like, they would have like an image, something would happen, and they would just have this like random Korean guy come out and go emotional damage, and she had mentioned it and how it bothered her. And at the time, I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is this thing that my old self just missed on the internet? Mm. So, of course, I had to go look it up. First, I looked up the use of the meme that some random person just did. Right. And then I was like, okay, now I know it exists. What is it? So, bump, 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 know your meme to the rescue. And they gave you the full history of what this one frame and word represented and where it came from. Yeah. And it made me realize, like, one, I get now why it upsets her. And why she wasn't happy with it. Two, I get why in its original context, it was pretty funny and okay. So I was like, okay, here I get why it works. Here I understand why it doesn't. So it wasn't just me being like, wow, someone said it. Therefore, I'm going to just ride. I'm going to go along with it. It I want to understand it. Give you some context. And also the site's interesting where it actually shows like a a map, like like a timeline of like uh, when it was popular, how many times it was shared. And you can kind of see it kind of come up and down, come up and down. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's great that this actual knowledge base exists instead Mm -hmm. of just being a bunch of internet full of just random imagery with no context. But which is most of the internet these days. It really is. Right. So any of it being tracked is a good thing or yeah. or chronicalized is a good thing. So what's your bonus round track? So um, my bonus round track actually comes from the game Yoshi's Story. And the track is called Yoshi's On The Beach Ska Cover. And this was done by a group of people, um, Thunder Scott, 8-Bit Brigadier, and TB For Good. And it is really, really good.
Welcome back. You are listening to Yoshi's on the Beach Ska cover, a cover from the game Yoshi Story on the N64. Um, this was done by a combination of individuals, talented individuals, Thunder Scott, 8-Bit Brigadier, and TB for good. I really enjoyed this track. It was already my favorite track from the Yoshi Story mm. game. And most, if not the entirety of that OST is just like very soft, mellow, relaxing music. Even like the fire levels are like relaxing music. So I like that they kicked it up a bit with still relaxing, but energetic, relaxing mm. ska. I really, yeah, it is. It's not like the punky ska, you know, it's like, it's the fun ska. Mm-hmm. Fun ska. It's like, <laughs> fun ska. Yeah, it's really, really good. But for more information on the bonus round, you can go to rhythmandpixels.com. We're going to have links to links to all of these artists band camps and sound clouds and places where you can go and support these artists but no zeldas just links only links all right thanks for joining us on episode 31-6 the nintendo super show Right? That's how yes. <laughs> the, the Nintendo Power Hour, a tribute Power Hour, to Gilvis right. Sunner. Um, just to get that clarification out the way one last time, um, it's one of those things where they, I'm sure Nintendo had their reasons. We don't know what they are because it might have been something we don't know about behind the scenes, beyond the norm. But as a surface level observer, I ultimately feel like short of them having an opp- the intent to release and sell these products, it's almost like a disservice to them as well as the community mm. to not have music being hosted for their games online. And some I might say you're feeling entitled to free stuff or what have you. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but I'm saying it in the <laughs> sense of like, hey, if it's not available for just direct purchase, the next best thing is to make it available because it goes along with the idea of like, why are you even listening to this podcast in the first place? It generates interest in the property and the yes. game and the stuff. It keeps your yeah. game on people's tongues and in their ears. Yes. It allows people to feel nostalgia for what they had and experienced, which also in turn makes it, you know, I guess more profitable when you re-release your games on your consoles and say, hey, come play this game you talked up so much again. Yeah, we see it as a win-win. Yeah. It's so Everybody's winning. Everybody's going to win. And I, for one, love the fact that VGM has become as popular and as big as this. I still remember downloading like tracks off of Napster back in college, and it was like you'd be lucky to find tracks half the time because it was still a new thing. People were like, "Wait, ripping NES cards?" Oh, I know. And, be, and before that, like um, you'd find you think would be soundtracks to games or songs to games, but they were just MIDI files of of like the game music. Like someone and, tried to recreate it, right? Yeah, it's like recreated a MIDI, and you're playing it through your, like your your I guess your sound blaster, and you're like, this doesn't sound like whatever, but it's close. We've come such a long way in VGM preservation and breed mm-hmm. VGM sharing and recollections. It's I can't even state just how great it is. I mean, if Anthony is listening to this, he'll tell you we used to record OSTs onto cassette tapes. Like off the TV onto a cassette tape, not through an AVI, AV cable or anything. Yes. It was literally sounds playing and you're recording it with a Walkman in your hand and you'd go to school bopping it with your friends and you hope no one ran in the room yelling at you while the track was recording. Otherwise, you're like, Purdue, you got a phone call. It's like, you ruined the whole thing, mom. Thanks for nothing. 
Like I, uh, I halfway halfway through Wiley one, and you get the phones going off, and it's just part of the song now. And now you can just download Wiley Stage Two Mega Man Wiley Castle One from Mega Man Two anywhere you want, yep. and tell everyone how it's the best Mega Man track ever. It's not, but uh, that's another argument it, for another time. Not that it's bad. <laughs> oh, it's a great track. It's, it's just, a great yeah, track. There's, there's more. There's more. So much more. <laughs> well, if um if you want to tell us what your favorite Mega Man track is. The best thing to do is to send us an email, rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. And if you want a full track listing from this episode, from all of our episodes, and access to all of our episodes, go to the website, rhythmandpixels.com. And also, at the top of that page, it's a link to our Discord server. The Discord server is where you can say hi to us, say hi to other listeners and other enthusiasts of video game music. We can promise you that people like to talk there, but it's not going to inflate your your notifications to the point where you want to shut them off. Like yeah, it's yeah. actually just like a relaxing, chill place. You'll to find hang out. you'll find some cool people, but it's not gonna. They're not gonna talk. It's not gonna blow up your inbox. Is what we're trying to say. It's it's, it's good, a good stuff. time. It's a good time. Um, so check that out there. Also, we are on youtubecom slash pixels where um, our episodes are uploaded there. And we also have a 24-7 radio station. It's a radio station that plays nothing but 8-bit and 16-bit classics and deep cuts. It's a cool thing that is running from my closet. He's not kidding. It's literally sitting behind me behind a white door. Yep. It's a little little, little desktop I've turned into a server. So um, I'm really proud of that thing. So check that out. 8-bit and 16-bit classics at youtube.com slash rhythm and pixels. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is uh, tell people about it. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your dog. Share it over cat. Easter dinner when that comes up. That's right. Give you know, it to your Valentine. Valentine's is coming soon. Yeah. Share share the, share the your love with the one you love, and then maybe they'll stick around. Maybe they'll, they or they'll bop around. Maybe they won't. Yeah. Or maybe they'll think, man, you listen to some good music. But if they don't stick around, it's not our fault. Disclaimer. No, 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 no. You're welcome. <laughs> Even better. No, you can also support the show and support uh, Rob, uh, me and Pernell doing this, doing this good work um, at Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Rhythm and Pixels. You get access to little prequel episodes. You get access to a live monthly um, live stream, a live live stream. Um, you get cool stuff like stickers and mugs and T-shirts. And then at the end of every episode, we like to thank all of our Patreon members at the highest level. Um, we have a new Patreon member that just started today. We want to thank you very much. Uh, you signed yourself the number one. We'll go with it. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to thank uh, one. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm wondering if that was a mistake. Or not. We'll find out what he hears. And he's like, yeah. one. <laughs> that, that, there's a different email address associated with it. But yeah, number one, thank you. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Uh, we we'll thank Frankly Zappa, Kristen, Mike Myers, Alf Person, Fashion 8060, Alex messenger the messenger from avgm journey andreas milberg brian pitt cameron warma carlos kung fu carlito from the heroes 3 podcast chris tinerson chris weisner aka musashi 219 the wise guy christopher senstrom davy cakes david taylor harold howard justin schneider from xvgm radio michael bridgewater from the forever sound version podcast uh, Michael Jennings, Rage Cage from the VG Emporium. We'll be having him on the show next week. Looking forward to that. He chose quite the topic, too. Yeah. Uh, Reinhardt Zelkova, Romancing Sagat, Sleepy S'more, Steve Miller, Taco, The Autistic Gamer 89, and Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy. Embassy? Embassy. Well, I'll be on his show, I guess it's next month. That's on a monthly cycle, I think. So it's going to be a long one, and it's going to be 
fun. It's going to be toe-tapping good, too. Yeah, it's going to be really, really good. So definitely check out um, all of our friend podcast friends. <laughs> all of our podcast friends. Super podcast friends. Yeah. Form of rockin' tunes. Yeah. Rockin' tunes. Rocket, rocket-powered rockin' tunes. Um, anyway, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to the show, for supporting the show. It means a whole, whole lot to us. We'll see you next week. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernil. Have a good day. <laughs> or evening, whenever you listen to the show. I believe know. I said good day. Good day, sir. And remember, uh, I guess in the spirit of the actual episode topic, um, just keep listening to VGM music. If you like it, continue to listen, support it, be there for it, exchange it, share it with your friends, talk about it with your friends, because if it feels good, do it but within legal presence. And that comes especially in the form of things like this because I've heard other people say this, and I agree with it personally, that video game music and the VGM community in general has a way of lighting a positive torch in a otherwise pretty rough space that we're engaged in right now. Um, it's just a good vibe. It's a good place, and I want to see it, I want to see it thrive as much as as possible for as long as possible so just continue to be a part of it continue to engage in it and continue to just love vgm that's all i got to say <laughs>